Broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Thank you for being with us on this edition of Cultural Baggage. Today our guest is Rich Watkins, Dr. Rich Watkins, former warden of the Holiday Prison in Texas. He's now a member of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. What you are about to hear was recorded this past Sunday at the Unitarian Church in Houston at 1600 Bering Avenue, where Warden Watkins gave the following speech. The mission of LEAP is to reduce the multitude of unintended harmful consequences resulting from fighting the war on drugs and to lessen the incident of death, disease, crime, and addiction by ultimately ending drug prohibition. Now, how do we plan on doing that? First of all, it's through education of the community, uh, the media, uh, those policy-making people in the legislature. We also want to do one additional thing, and that is to bring about the respect for law enforcement that's going to be needed to resolve many of our community's problems. You see, while we're spending all this money on this so-called war on drugs, we have other areas that's going deficient. We have bad publicity. We have unfortunate things to happen in law enforcement that impact not only the ability of law enforcement to do a good job of providing uh, safety for our, our communities, but also just detrimental to the overall environment that exists. The Wall Drug was established in 1970 by uh, President Nixon. It was at a time when our nation uh, had more publicity about uh, drug problems and drug use. You see, during that time, it was estimated about five million. Americans uh, had used illegal drugs. So President Nixon came up with this war on drugs. The war on drugs has been one of the most detrimental programs that affects the life of this nation. I speak to you from personal experience with the state criminal justice system. Just for incarcerating housing offenders, primarily uh, the large percentage of those offenders are nonviolent drug offenders who have probably been brought in for a number of possessions. We have an annual prison budget to operate of one and a half billion dollars. Now you think about that when we have to go back to the legislature to try to find enough money to educate our kids. That's a little backwards as far as I'm concerned. But let me just share with you some things about this war on, on drugs. Since 1970 we've spent over a trillion dollars on the war on drugs with over 35 million people ar arrested, primarily for possession of drugs. This year alone, we'll arrest over 1.7 million people in this country for drug offenses, nonviolent, primarily possession. 
But today, after all of the billion, trillions of dollars that have been spent on this, this war on drugs, drugs are cheaper, they're more potent, and they're more easily accessible than they ever have been. According to uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency, over 110 million Americans have used illegal drugs. We spend $69 billion a year for the war on drugs. Now, what, what is the war on drugs? It's basically a feel-good effort. We spend $69 billion a year on an appearance which has been counterproductive. In 1970, 90% of the people who had committed violent crimes, cases, had been solved. Today, it's 50%. So what happened there? Well, the war on drugs, a political, emotional issue, took all of the highlights. It took all of the resources. So what did that do with law enforcement? While they're out chasing drug dealers and drug users, our murderers, our rapists, our robbers are going free. What's happening in our prisons? Well, I had an opportunity to see firsthand that so many people who are incarcerated in Texas prisons today, about 160,000, by the way, are actually behind bars. We compete with California. I mean, one year California has the largest prison system, and the next year we have the largest prison system, and back and forth. The largest prison system in the free world. That is nothing to be proud of. At the tune of $1.5 billion a year just to operate. That doesn't include additional funding to build additional facilities and that type of thing. So while we have 160,000 people incarcerated, a greater percentage of those folks, in my opinion, didn't need to be in prison. They needed to be in a treatment center somewhere. War on drugs. Why is it that our organizations say that we need to eliminate prohibition? Folks, I doubt if any of you lived during the prohibition of alcohol. You've all heard about it. It didn't work. No prohibition works. All the prohibition on alcohol did was, all it did was create big crime lords, increase the incident of crime, very destructive in the lives of our citizens in this nation. No control over the production of alcohol. You might have read about the number of people who died in Atlanta from uh, alcohol that was generated in a bathtub where chemicals uh, were involved and it killed a lot of people. No control. But when the prohibition ended, the nation didn't say, uh, we want to stop your use and say, we want to control the production and the sale of these products. And that's all we're seeing about drugs. Now, we participate in seminars all over this nation and in various countries. And it's amazing that the people, we have over 6,500 members. We've doubled since last year. And most of those people are active law enforcement, judges, ex-wardens like me, uh, DEA agents, people who see what's happening on this war on drugs on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, folks, very simply this. What's the definition of insanity? Okay? 
I mean, we keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, and our nation, our youth is going to somewhere in a handbasket, you see. So if it's not working, we got to do something different. We got to change the course of things. And we suggest to you is the way to do it is what happened with uh, the end of prohibition on alcohol where there was some control. We ask our kids about the availability of drugs. It is easier for them to get marijuana than it is to buy beer. And you know why. It's because there's a control mechanism for alcohol. It's not, let me tell you, of the 6,500 members of LEAP, I doubt if you'll find any of us who will support the use of drugs. I don't. I worked for a pharmaceutical company for seven years. And I know how prescription drugs are abused. I refuse to take medication unless I'm on my last leg. Okay, because I know that all medication has a side effect. We're not supporting drug use. But what's going to happen when we end prohibition on drugs? First of all, the day that prohibition ends, our, our drug cartels and our drug dealers are going to cease to exist. Our drive-by shootings in these neighborhoods over drug territories will end because there's not going to be an economic value involved there. Just think about that. You are listening to the Cultural Baggage radio program, and the voice you hear is that of Dr. Rich Watkins, a former warden of the Texas Holiday Prison Unit. So no matter how we have been influenced by the perception of the war on drugs, I'm telling you that if you just think about the reality of this situation, you will see an end to the problems, many of the problems that we have today. When an individual, a community, a nation does not recognize the reality of something, they don't make good decisions. And that's what has happened in our nation, folks. The people who have come up with these policies, who have come up with these programs, who funded these useless things, don't recognize the reality of things. If they recognize the simple facts, fact, and that is, in prohibition, in illegal activities. That's simple. But it's a political and emotional issue. We have created monsters for ourselves in our community law enforcement. Through the years, we've dealt with a lot of law enforcement officers, and by and large, many of those folks are good, honest people. And some of them get caught in bad situations. As an example, an innocent man that was shot 50 times, a 92-year-old mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, who was killed protecting her property during a botched drug raid, profiling that existed in Tulia, Texas, and Hearn, Texas, and Dallas, Texas, and Houston, Texas, an outlaw bunch of law enforcement officers called drug task force officers that Thank God that we were able to go to Austin and testify and give testimony as to how these rogue cops were just running rampant in, in our communities. And thank goodness the legislature had sense enough to recognize the reality of that situation and end the drug task force. These were people who were commissioned under district attorneys who had to answer to nobody. 
They had unchecked powers. Law enforcement in many areas, in most areas, being trained as SWAT members and special uh, uh, drug task force, paramilitary type of training. This is not good for any citizen in any community. While they are being trained and all of their energy is going toward these drug offenders, you know, what's going to happen when they bring down a drug dealer? It's going to be a fight. And another two drug dealers are going to step up and take their place. So while we're spending all the energy and, and thought on chasing these drug people, our murderers, our rapists, our robbers, real criminals are walking our streets. And I saw in our prison systems, and it's still an overcrowded situation. We also went to Austin and testified before several commissions and committees of both the House and the Senate on not spending another dime to build another prison bed anywhere in the state. I saw our prison system in just a few years go from 12,000 offenders to 160,000 who are actually behind bars. And that's over a million people out there in the criminal justice system that's being handled either by parole or probation officers. Here again, vicious cycle. All that emotional money and political money has gone into building these new prisons, and the state is not prepared to pay seven, dollars $8,000 a year to educate our kids. That's backwards. To pay our teachers what they so justly deserve in handling our greatest natural resource, our young people. Yeah, our young people. What about our young people? I see all these fights over drug testing in schools. Let me tell you what has been found. Absolutely nothing good comes out of drug testing our kids. You know, first of all, you get what you expect. If you expect to find our kids using drugs, you're going to find it. But let me tell you what I saw in my little old community, and we stopped them from testing our kids. I found in my community that they were going to test our best kids. They were going to test our kids who were in extracurricular activities, who sang in the choir, who were in the Future Farmers of America, who were student council members, who were athletes, and who did this extra stuff. Our best kids, they want to test those kids. A horrible, horrible decision. And a lot of communities that are testing kids. You have just told your kids that you expect them to be a criminal. So, back to what we think. We really and truly feel that if we ended the prohibition of drugs, now, I tell you, we've had some DAs that say, well, you know, I can go with marijuana, but what about heroin and, and, and all of that? Well, right now, we have absolutely no control over what our kids put in that system because there's no control mechanism. Decriminalize it and control it, just like with alcohol. I saw on TV where this young lady was arrested last night for DWI. She hit an officer while he was trying to help somebody. Well, we are never going to stop the use of alcohol, and we're never going to stop the use of drugs. But let's be reasonable about this thing. We need to control it. You know, we have four daughters and three beautiful grandkids. God forbid they'll ever get involved in drugs. But if they ought to get involved in drugs, I wanted to come out of a drugstore. I wanted to come out of a controlled situation, not sharing needles not ended up with AIDS, not taking something that's been laced with embalming fluid or some more dangerous substance. 
The same thing with alcohol, you know. We don't have to worry about stuff being brewed in a bathtub anymore. We have a control mechanism. So what we're saying is this, is that we need to recognize the reality of where we are. We've relegated uh, law enforcement to, to be horrible people. In order for them to protect and serve, they have to have us to support them. They need to have the tools and the ability to go out there. And let me tell you, not only arrest these folks, but put them in prison. We got some people. I knew a guy on death row, Dumachette. He was considered the most dangerous human being alive in Texas. One of the state magazines wrote this article, the most dangerous man on death row. He killed two or three people in prison. Dumachette had no business being out in society. He needed to be locked up somewhere. Those are the kind of folks we need to lock up and deal with. We need a system in this nation and really in this state to provide the kind of help that's necessary to facilitate our young people becoming good citizens. We can lobby, we can educate, we can associate with other people of like thought, and LEAP is actively involved in lobbying the people who make decisions in our government. That's where it has to change. It can be done. We are gaining more support from our legislators now, people who make these decisions, because they are, they are hearing DAs, they're hearing sheriffs and chiefs of police and judges say, Representative, this is not working. You guys got to do something different. And every time we have an opportunity to share information and hopefully gain support for the reality of the situation that has to change in this nation, then it's contagious. I mean, LEAP doubled, our membership doubled in one year because folks know that we're out there, you know. And the thing about LEAP is this, is that anybody can join. You can join as a past person who's worked in the criminal justice system. You can join as a supporter. And the thing that's wonderful about LEAP is that LEAP does not share its membership list with anybody. We have active DAs and active judges right now who are members of LEAP. They don't have to worry about that situation. Well, I was a little crazy because as an active warden, I just retired last year. I was involved in LEAP two years before I retired because I feel that strongly about what LEAP is doing and what we're doing. I feel that strongly about it because I saw young people every day that did not need to be in prison. The same system that was used when prohibition on alcohol ended, I would suggest do the same thing for drugs. In other words, you establish, just like it's illegal for minors to use alcohol, make it illegal for minors to use drugs. But the big thing is this, is that so many lives will be positively changed when you take away the illegality. First of all, from harvest to sell on the street, 17,000% markup. I know of no other industry where that kind of money is made. Whatever it costs, when it's harvested, it's worth 17,000% more when it hit the streets. We talked to the medical director of the prison system uh, last week, and she is just furious. They have over 12,000 psych patients who need in-house psychiatric help. They have less than 4,000 beds to help those folks. At one time, before so many things happened in this state in particular that we're familiar with, 
there were places that were available, no matter how good or bad they were, for in-house kind of treatment of people with mental problems. So now, instead of those people going to treatment centers, they're going to prison. Yeah, we have, that's why this doctor was, was telling us that she's ended up with so many, and these are just, I mean, these are identified mental patients who should be in a mental institution and not in a prison. So homelessness, I would suggest, uh, has a very complicated kind of formula, but I would suggest that many of those folks need that, need that kind of help. There's no place to put them, though. You put them in the hospital for immediate emergency care, and then after a certain number of days, they, they have to put them out on the streets because they don't have anywhere to send them. You know, war on drugs established a hardline approach. And in Texas, we have this put them in prison and throw the key away. Well, as that has not worked, nor will the lack of support for a realistic approach, uh, in my opinion, won't work. See, what happens? Let's, let's take, for example, 160,000 people that we got locked up in prison today and over a million that's out there under the criminal justice system. The point in reality that a lot of citizens have not recognized is that, guess what? Those 160,000 people are not going to just fall off the face of Texas or die and go away. A great percentage of those folks are going to come back to your neighborhood and my neighborhood. So we can either, you remember the old cursing, the old uh, commercial, you either pay me now or pay me later? That's what society is, is, is caught in right now. Either we step up to the plate and we support some realistic changes that's going to impact this nation positively, are we going to do what we've done all these years, and that is go along with a perception of hang them high kind of mentality, and you know what? The prison is a training ground for criminals. We saw it in Jasper. We saw it in other communities where kids were taken out of a community and sent to a training ground for criminals, and they came back here as hardened criminals. This is Dean Becker, and you're listening to The Cultural Baggage Show on the Drug Truth Network. The voice you just heard was that of Dr. Rich Watkins, former warden of the Texas Holiday Prison Unit and now a spokesman for law enforcement against prohibition. Once again, I'm glad to have with us here on the Drug Truth Network Mr. Cliff Thornton. He's uh, head of efficacy online. Uh, he also participated in a successful run towards the governorship of the state of Connecticut, though he did not win office. He certainly opened the dialogue about the drug war, and we're bringing him uh, back to the program to talk about the political perspective. It started for me back in January when um, they said that I, they wanted me to become uh, a candidate to run for governor. And in April, I was nominated by the... Connecticut State Green Party to run for governor of Connecticut. <clears throat> it was a very interesting dean. I'd say during that time period we had pretty close to 90 articles printed about uh, my run for governor and of those 90 articles, 70 of those articles had uh, real strong mention of drug policy. The thing I think that we all have to start looking at is how we're going to expand this movement and how are we going to get our message in the halls where they make these laws in and around drugs? At the local level, we can produce such ordinances as making marijuana the lowest priority as far as enforcement. So we've got to start looking at these types of policies and laws 
and work with city and state government to try and, and bring about a change. The dialogue is, is at a point where it's never been before. Cliff, uh, there was a report issued uh, just about a week ago that showed the U.S. incarceration rate was well over 700. And I did some calculations, and I determined that for the state of Texas, we do, in fact, lead the world. Uh, we have an incarceration rate of 1,070 per 100,000. And the city of Houston has uh, about twice the rate of the rest of Texas, which would place us at approximately 2,000. And then you extrapolate that again to show that five out of six prisoners from this county are black. It shows a rate of about 10,000 blacks per 100,000. Your, your thoughts on that, sir? Well, those numbers are just astounding, Dean. And, and I know exactly what you're, you're saying and alluding to. Uh, that is a phenomenon which, which I have been working on for the last five to six years to try and bring about some sense to it. However, the only sense that I can get out of that is that the law enforcement in this country is concentrating efforts in the poor and marginalized areas, which basically consist of black and brown people in this country. But also, Dean, the thing that is astounding to me, when you start to look at poor whites, that number has jumped, jumped to over 70% in the last five years alone, and that has a lot to do with methamphetamine. But the interesting fact in and around methamphetamine, I do believe there were two attempts in the federal Congress to bring about mandatory minimums for methamphetamine, which didn't succeed. Also, in, in three or four states in the Midwest, the same thing was tried, uh, they tried to accomplish the same thing. However, that was defeated also. Is, is there a real racial component within the drug war, or is it just a fallacy? That's the question that we have to really start asking. And I have to believe that it, is, it does have racial overtones, even though people will allude to and say many times that it's a, it's a class issue. It is actually both. And you're absolutely right, Dean. These things have to change, but when they're going to change, I don't know. Well, Cliff, uh, if you'll forgive this, I'm as white as any saltine you'll ever find. And yet I feel compelled to try to awaken the black leaders here in Harris County to this travesty that's being uh, promulgated against their community. Any thoughts, any support in that thought? Well, when you start to look at things, Dean, in a historical perspective, you come up, this is what most people come up. And I think Angela Davis out of uh, California uh, put it best when she said that right after the Civil Rights Movement, a lot of blacks were giving a, given a little something, meaning that they were put into some type of position where they were uh, had... Uh, perceived uh, positions of power. However, what has happened is those blacks and browns that are in those positions of perceived positions of power have become gatekeepers, and they will not budge. And you've seen this with the, for the former uh, drug czar, Brown. Uh, he will not budge, and he was one at one time one of the top blacks 
that was administrating uh, public policy, even though that public policy was highly detrimental to blacks and browns in this country. Those people that are in perceived positions of power, for the most part, and I can't mention or, or think of one person, those people are not there yet. This is why it is necessary to go into the political arena and challenge those people. I want to issue an invitation to the Houston, Texas, and national black leaders to get in touch with me, dean at drugtruth.net. Working with the members of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, we can bring about a demise to this policy of drug war. And as always, I remind you, because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guthy, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth, the show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jap dancing on the edge of cannabis. <laughs>